Welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to Hunter and Craft Radio episode 5. Tonight we've got an awesome episode for you guys. Matt Castell sits down with Alex Enchin of whereipark.com. Awesome app marketplace for all your parking needs. Alex is also the co-founder of WagJag. Um, really awesome episode. A lot of great takeaways here. Hope you guys enjoy. Uh, without further ado, let's, let's jump into it. Hi everyone, this is Matt Castell at Hunter and Craft Radio, and I'm here with Alex Enchin, the founder of Where I Park. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing great, Matt. It's great to see you. I hope you had a good short week with this Canada Day in the middle of it. I did, I did. So uh, thanks for joining me, and uh, everyone, I'm super happy and excited to speak with Alex today. So he's a, a local tech entrepreneur uh, working uh, in order to have a positive impact on the way that we organize and plan our city. And I've known Alex for a little bit. Uh, as a serial entrepreneur, and so today, expect to hear tips about how to get started with your own venture. So Alex, I'd love to hear a bit of your background and hear about where you are today and how you got there. Sure. So I was born and raised in Toronto, uh, went to a couple of different private schools growing up, ended up at Western, studied political science, truthfully didn't know really what I wanted to, to do when I was older, was sort of thought about law school at certain points, and I'd always been interested in entertainment and, and sort of media, especially uh, the film business. And after I graduated, I was able to get a job. It was a terrible economy. It was, uh, I guess, uh, spring, summer of 2009. So, you know, right after the Great Recession. And I was able to get a job on a big Hollywood movie that was shooting here in Toronto called Resident Evil 4. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I'm yeah. not sure if you're a science fiction guy, but <laughs> I worked on Resident Evil 4 for a couple weeks. And really quickly, uh, as the highlight of my days and weeks was getting Mila Jovovich Starbucks, I realized that this wasn't really what I was meant to do, and I quit that job, which was hard to me, hard to do at the time because you know it was my first job at a university, and I thought you know quitting sort of the first thing. I don't want this to sort of spiral, but I knew that it wasn't right for me, so I left and uh, bummed around for a couple weeks, and then as fate would have it, my roommate from my sophomore year. Um, got in touch with me and, and said that his older brother, who I had met a couple of times, was, was starting an internet business and he was looking for some entrepreneurial types to help him get it started. So he said, are you interested to speak to my brother? And I said, absolutely. I was looking for a new opportunity. So I met Jeremy Zucker in October of 2009 at Aroma on Bloor Street uh, around Bathurst. And he told me about a company that was less than a year old from Chicago called Groupon. And he basically explained to me what Groupon was and, and what they were doing, and I just right away it clicked, and I just thought that's su such a brilliant model. Groupon was the, the sort of daily uh, deals, okay, daily uh, deals, group right. buying okay. company from Chicago, yeah. and um, he basically said, "I want to bring this concept to Canada before they do." And and as soon as I sort of finished hearing him speak, I said, "Count me in for whatever it is you're doing." And a couple of days later, we, we kind of made an arrangement and, and started working together uh, on WagJag. And at the time, there was no group buying companies in, in Toronto. Um, Team Buy, actually, I think, was the first one, and we followed shortly thereafter. And then about a year, less than a year later, actually, the company was acquired uh, by the Toronto Stars Digital Portfolio, uh, which is 
Torstar Digital. So went from working really out of my apartment uh, in sweatpants pretty often uh, and, and, you know, sort of going door to door down the major streets of Toronto into different businesses to having a, a really large uh, brick and beam office down at King West. Wow. Uh, and, and that acquisition brought us a lot of capital and resources uh, to grow the business. So Jeremy leading that business, um, you know, the company grew to over 125 employees at its height and uh doing about $50 million in wow. sales in 2011 and 2012. So, you know, it's a great story. And certainly for me, uh, you know, at, at 22 years old, it was an incredible experience. I learned so much, met great people, and, like, really, uh, you know, learned how to sell uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as the first salesperson at Wagjack. And you were working closely with the CEO and everything, so you got sort of a view of yeah, the great exposure. Yeah, point of view of things. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we were, you know, we were part of a huge corporation, right. a publicly traded one, right, right. which is Torstar, um, but at the same time still kind of maintained a bit of a startup kind of, feel for a while. Um, so anyway, I mean, I, I learned so much there and it was such a great experience. And, you know, luckily people are, a lot of people know the name Wagjag. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a, there's a, some positive storytelling elements to yeah. that as well. Leverage that into other ventures. Yeah, I, I have, I think I've done a good job of leveraging that into the next steps of my career. Uh, yeah. After that, I worked for a mobile app called Checkout 51, uh, which is a couponing app. And that had been sort of leveraged by my work at Wagjag with Johnson and Johnson and Procter and Gamble um, and Kraft. Went to work with you know a, a mobile app company focused on consumer packaged goods. And then after I left there, my sort of key takeaway was I want to work for myself. I don't really want to work for someone else. And uh, and, and why why was that? I, I'm always sort of interested to hear what people's view views are on sort of. The, the transition from being part of a team to really wanting to work on their own. You sure. Know, what was the sort of feeling that sure. you had? I, I think the key thing for me and, and what I think part of what entrepreneurship is all about is, is really risk re- reward profile. And, you know, I just turned 28. You and I are around the same age. So I think for me at this stage of my life and career, I'm, I'm open to taking more risk. Right. And, you know, I happen to have seen, um, you know, my business partner who started this thing from scratch on his own, he was a you know private equity finance guy and he left that to do his own thing. And when you assume a lot of risk and start your own business and if you're able to be successful, you usually get rewarded dis- disproportionately yeah. and, and can do really well. So um, that combined with the, you know, I think part of my DNA is I wasn't built to work for a big company right. and have that nine to five environment, really structured environment. I'm much better in an unstructured environment. Mm-hmm. And I love going into something where there's totally a blank canvas. And instead of, you know, just doing something that someone else did before you, it's like, there's nothing here, go create something. Right. Uh, and I can, you know, talk about in my social and philanthropic life a little bit later, how I apply that same yeah philosophy. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. Yeah. For sure. But yeah. Um, yeah, really, for me, it's I, I wanted to work for myself. And you know, at this stage in my life, before I'm married and have kids, like I'm mm-hmm. open to assuming a so lot of risk. You're not going to do it now. When are you going to do it? Kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think a lot of people. I hear this all the time. People say, "Well, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll do it later." But I think as you get older, it gets harder and harder to do it. You have, you know, a mortgage and kids Definitely. go to private school or camp, and and your expenses build up. It's harder to do it later. And I think now, and, and speaking to some of my other entrepreneur friends, I think once if you do it young, you get you get bit by the bug, and you know, it would be very hard for me to, to go back and yeah, to go work for a big yeah. company. It's just not what I'm meant for, meant sense. to do. So, uh, so this is what led you that feeling, that desire to where I park. So, you know, a little bit about where I park. Yeah, sure. So, so, um, 
beginning of 2014, um, I was looking for an opportunity and I was especially looking for something that was early stage, but something that already sort of existed that I could step into and help them grow. So it really actually wasn't fitting with my whole, I want to work for myself thing, but I wanted something to do. I didn't have an idea that was burning a hole in my pocket as of yet. So I was pretty close to taking a job with a software company, a software startup uh, downtown or in Adelaide and Peter. And when I was so close to joining them, I sort of said to myself, I need a parking spot, <laughs> a monthly spot. And when I was at WagJag and when I was at Checkout 51, I paid around $200 a month for parking. So that was really my budget for Adelaide and Peter. Walked around the area on a cold February day, looked for a spot, went into parking lots, asked the attendants for availability, asked them for parking rates, and I couldn't find anything less than about $300. So I decided to take my search online, and really quickly I found there wasn't one tool available to me to help me find a monthly parking spot. And about a week and a half later, I kind of decided it wasn't the perfect opportunity. Um, so I, I declined the opportunity, but as, as I sort of, um, you know, sat and thought for the next couple weeks about things, I, it kind of occurred to me that the parking might be an interesting opportunity and making a tool to help people find monthly parking or find cheaper monthly parking and help people that owned property or owned parking lots actually get their vacant inventory online in a, in a place that's actually searchable to the consumer uh, and a place where a transaction can actually be made. So that was really sort of the, the, you know, the seed planting. And then Jeremy Zucker, who I had worked for and with at WagJag, him and I got together and had coffee a few times over the course of a couple weeks. And we sort of spat out different business ideas. He had a number of them and I had, you know, a couple of them. And parking was really the one that I, I kind of got the most passionate about. And I kind of convinced him. I said, let's, let's build something and, and test this out. Um, we're really big on before you, you know, raise any money or spend a, you know, a fortune building software or starting a business, you need to kind of like run an experiment. Mm -hmm. So he, you know, as luck would have it, had learned how to code the last couple of years just from dealing with the development team at WagJag. And then he kind of wanted to understand more of the software side of things. So he actually learned how to code in Ruby on Rails, and he built a prototype, like a really, really simple shell for parking where you could list parking spots for rent and you could rent parking spots, make a transaction. So the way that we kind of got started and, and validated if there was a real business there was to basically put that shell, that prototype or, or uh, MVP, most vi uh, minimum viable product, was we got a bit of media, put it out there with some inventory on it and actually, you know, wanted to see, will somebody rent a parking spot, a monthly spot mm -hmm. like this? And because even before that too, um, in terms of building that product, the product, the prototype and, you know, trying to get it out. Yeah. Did you also have a lot of conversations? Because, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs too, I always hear different stories about how they've sort of approach different people just with the idea itself. Yeah, for sure. You know, so like even before that stage where you actually build it, did you do any sort of like talking to mentors, for example, or, you know, individuals like maybe, I don't know, your friends and do maybe a survey, like, would you guys even use this kind of thing? Yeah. Is there any of that? Or? I think, um, you know, I think certainly part of that, you know, exploration or validation phase was speaking to people in parking. Right. Um, so I happen to know some people that owned parking lots or who's nice. you know, who are in the parking management business. So I tried to understand, you know, even in Yorkville or King West, if you have a parking lot, with 500 spots, 
and you allocate you know 20% or 100 spots towards monthly parking, if you had 95 monthly parkers, what would you actually do to get those extra five parkers and, and get to 100% occupancy? In some cases, they act, in most cases, actually, they oversell by anywhere up to 10% because on any given day, people are on vacation or sick or out of the office, so they can actually oversell monthly par okay. uh, parking in, in a lot of instances. So we definitely found that that they would be open to trying to to do stuff digitally. So you, we, you saw that there was there was a real problem that you could address. Yeah, there there were no tools for the parking industry to actually rent out parking spots, right. monthly parking. So that was interesting. Um, I definitely bounced it off. Probably not so much mentors as, as people I know, like my other yeah. friends in technology, um, people that I know who had you know who, who drive to work and needed to find a parking spot, and having looked for a spot around Wagjag. Uh, a king in Portland, and having difficulty there, and then ending up getting a spot through a friend's relative who owned a building across the street, and then at Checkout 51, where it was impossible around Adelaide and Sherborne to find monthly parking, I just, you know, it, not even intuitively, I just knew from my own personal experience that it was difficult to find monthly parking mm -hmm. in downtown Toronto, and there's obviously price sensitivity, so um, I, I knew from my own experience that there was something there, but knowing you know, whether anecdotally or intuitively that something makes sense, you actually want to, you know, understand, will will strangers use this? Will the average person, yeah. you know, use that and tool? And you to get it out, get it out. Yeah, totally, yeah, totally. So in the early days, um, in terms of just, like, getting it off the ground and yeah. getting that, like, really early traction, even if it's, you know, two, three people or whatever, yeah. are they going to buy it? Yeah. What would be sort of your tips there? Was that, you know, the most important thing for you in terms of just getting that out, like, the actual app itself and then you mentioned a little bit of publicity along with it yeah yeah it? sure so i think you know you kind of want to run you know there's the whole like lean startup yep. methodology eric reese's book um you want to you want to validate that there is a business there or that this is something that people will actually use before you go crazy with it so that was what we set out to do and you know you can sort of allocate a budget of like five thousand dollars to doing this and you can um, you know, set up uh, like a, a page on something like LaunchRock or there are services that you can get people to, you know, drive traffic to your website and see how people interact with it. But, you know, we kind of wanted to totally bootstrap it. So we were able to get some press. Um, I think the first person that wrote about us was actually BlogTO. Um, and it was actually funny because we, we had reached out to them saying this is what we're doing. And then they kind of wrote an article about us without actually telling us that it was coming. So <laughs> our, our, the, the web app, it's a web application. Uh, it's mobile friendly, but it was ready to go. But the payment processing wasn't actually turned on. And then last year, on I think it was June 25th of 2014, all of a sudden there was like all this traffic to the website we were seeing on Google Analytics. So we kind of said to ourselves like, oh, you know, shit, we got to turn on the payment module because <laughs> people are actually on the site and, and right. somebody actually like made a booking that morning, right. which was really cool to see. And this was something that converted through that article on blog. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. There right. were, it actually like sent quite a bit of traffic that morning. And, you know, when we, when we saw that first booking come through, it's obviously really exciting because it, you know, it's sort of, and at that point you had the website up, you had the where I park brand yep. and things like that. So what do you think on behalf of blog to was the sort of selling point for them? Why do you think they were interested in it? Why did it sort of catch on? They wanted to write about it. Yeah, I think um, number one, I think you know, publications like BlogTO and 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 any kind of city related stuff um, are all about telling you what's new and, and like notable and interesting in, in your city. Um, the angle that they really, you know, kind of 
went forward with was some new service has, has emerged to help it make to help make it easier to find a monthly parking spot. Um, and certainly, you know, my personal story that I shared with you about me right. finding it challenging to find yeah. parking at Adelaide and Peter, you know, is a great example of how there is parking in that area. Some of it is in apartment buildings or condos or office buildings. It's underground. There's no signage. There's no, like, online is where everything happens now. So there should be a tool to, to find a monthly parking spot. And now there finally was one. So, so I think, you know, that was really the angle uh, and the fact that it was, you know, Toronto homegrown, you know, Toronto yeah. entrepreneurs who had, who had done some other stuff before. Um, so anyway, that was really like the first, you know, little spark that we had and said, you know, I, I certainly was pretty bullish on it and thought like there's something here. Right. People are using it. We got over the next little while, you know, traffic definitely died off because we weren't really doing much to drive traffic. But people were starting to like list their parking spots nice. uh, to rent out, which is really part of sort of what we were doing. You know, Craigslist and Kijiji. The classifieds are really where people sort of go to buy and, and sell or mm-hmm. rent parking spots. So trying to, to create a better solution for that one that, you know, manages all payments, is um, more permanent in that if you post a parking spot on Kijiji on a Tuesday, by Friday it's 20 pages deep, whereas on our website it lives on the map, so it's not going to disappear or be, you know, uh, buried, if you will. Mm-hmm. So uh, we just really wanted to create a better solution for people to find and Rent right. out monthly parking. And so that's what you think sort of caught on from the PR standpoint then? Yeah, I mean, yeah. to be honest with you, it didn't, you know, it, it, there was a little bit of a spike in traffic initially, and then it really died off, and, yeah. and there was no so lasting if, wave. What have, what have been sort of your your efforts and your strategy in order to get more traction? I saw recently uh, that you were featured on BNN, which is really cool. Uh, they did a little piece on your on yeah. your company there to see whether it was disruptive, disruptive. I think, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And so... Uh, you know, that was, that was really great. And I'm sure that drove traffic to your site and, you know, it helps from just a brand perspective, you know, gives you legitimacy as a founder and everything like that. And so what has been sort of your strategy to get more PR and things like that? Yeah. It's, if it's you a, got any tips, you know, to, to give to, you know, young entrepreneurs who want to get a little bit of uh, media traction, what would that be? For sure. It's a really interesting one. And I've definitely, from this business, um, learned a lot about PR. Um, we, I've done a bunch on my own, the, the blog TO stuff, the BNN disruptors segment. And then, uh, I was actually on CP 24 a couple months ago in the evening. Nice. Um, on TV. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, right. yeah. I did a live interview. Um, and then we actually hired a PR agency, um, to, to raise awareness and get us onto, you know, more, uh, mass media. So I, I have actually learned a ton and, and my key lessons on PR are really that, you know, a lot of PR agencies and people will sort of tell you they can do the X, Y, and Z and, you know, they charge some of them an arm and a leg, a couple thousand bucks a month um, with, with no sort of guaranteed results. And, you know, when we hired this agency, I won't, I won't say who they are, but uh, out of the gate the first week, we were like on four or five radio programs, Global News wrote a piece about us. And then after that, there was a two-month campaign. And like after that first week and a half, it was pretty much nothing. And, you know, we spent... Thousands, thousands, of, yeah. yeah, considerable amount of money, especially for a bootstrapped, Absolutely. you know, um, lean startup. So the things that I really learned are PR is really about hustle and contacts slash networking. You know, me getting on BNN and CP24 was yeah. all my own uh, sort of hustle. I, was just and actually, I know you on a personal level. I know that, uh, you know, you seem like a pretty network guy in Toronto and whatnot. Uh, always, you know, hanging out with interesting people and everything. And so... 
if you want to talk a little bit more about networking and how that has played into your, your startup, you know, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, I guess some of the PR explosion you've had has just been through connections that you've made. Yeah, connections and, and hustle and, and just a little bit of being in the right place at the right time. Um, but I think that comes down to networking is you gotta, you gotta be outgoing and, and social and, um, I, I really into networking and I think I've gotten pretty good at it over the years because you really never know who you're going to meet. And I think for me as an entrepreneur, whenever I'm out anywhere, I'm not just Alex Enchin personally, I'm like Alex Enchin in the parking business. Right. Um, so, you know, network, you know, I have having spoken to different people in condo development and people that own apartment buildings, we've been able to find, you know, new spots and parking, parking is really something that affects a wide gambit of people. We have people all the time, you know, we've helped companies like Rogers and city TV and Coca-Cola, uh, They're finding spots for their, finding, yeah, finding or? better parking solutions okay. near their offices for their people mm -hmm. and, uh, help some condo developers. Like somebody was building, uh, a, a developer called Camrost, which built, uh, turned the old four seasons into a condo. I think it's called Yorkville Plaza. Their garage was behind schedule and they needed a place in Yorkville for like 30 vehicles for a couple months. So helping them. So, you know, that kind of came through like people that at my golf club that knew the developer and just, you know, you just got to, you got to get out there and you meet new people and you really never know what might come yeah. of it. So, so I, I love meeting new people. And, and so you'd say definitely as an entrepreneur, um, you know, what I'm seeing from what you're saying is that there's, there's not always a strict separation between your personal life and your business life. Yeah. Mine are totally blended. Intertwined, yeah. yeah. You can't, yeah. you can't separate the two. And yeah. for some people that's easier than others. Um, but from, you know, you got, I don't even go to so many of those like tech TO meetup type events, but right. like those are great things. They're great places to meet people. Um, there's a really cool, um, new sort of web application I've been using called Volley guys that I met at like a networking kind of event and Volley is all about how to reach out to the community, to their community and get help from other people on the different things you're working on. So that kind of collaboration is, is great. And um, you know, networking is, is certainly part of that. So you got to get out there and, and meet people and go to events and stuff. That's very cool. So uh, another thing too uh, that I wanted to talk to you a bit about was the sales aspect of things. Right? Yeah. So you sort of started your career in sales. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure you were. Well, maybe you can tell me about it. Were you doing door to door stuff on the phone? Yeah. You know, email like outbound sales, inbound, sort of what your sort of experience has been there, and then how you sort of brought those best practices to, you know, your current yep. operation here. Yeah. So I think, you know, when I, we started at WAC, I've always kind of been naturally a salesman. Salesman carries a negative connotation. I know a lot of, <laughs> a lot of salespeople like to say business development because right. they think yeah, sales. Yeah, I've seen that more, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, the world runs on sales and no business no matter how good your product is, your engineers or your marketing or branding, if you if you don't have if you can't sell or your company can't sell, you're not going to be around very long. So sales, the world runs on sales, and my sales training really came from the early days at Wagjag when I was out pitching restaurants and spas and um, you know every kind of small local business on this group buying concept, and I had doors slammed on me and people told me to get the hell out of their store and that it was the stupidest idea <laughs> and that they would never do such a thing. And years later they ran a deal with every daily deal site. So it's funny. It was funny to see that, but you got to get that, that sort of training and 
that made me figure out how to turn no's into yeses and and how to make people like you because I think people like to buy things from people that they like and I think the, the one of the key things that I've learned in business in, in general but also specifically in sales is that the reason that some people are successful and others are not is, is partially persistence and I think there's a great stat somewhere I wish I had it but what percentage of deals actually get sold on like the first interaction versus the second or third? Or the, the ninth or the eleventh? Yeah, or it's like sixty yeah. percent of things happen from like the seventh in interaction right. onward. Seventh, right. yeah. So, I think most people, you know, are naturally kind of turned off by being persistent, following up repeatedly. They feel get bad or guilty about it, and I really don't. And I find that you're able to actually develop a, a rapport with somebody and they're more likely to want to work with you and, and buy something from you. So persistence for me is key and I find that a lot of people encounter some sort of hurdle or or, or challenge or difficulty or they get no and they're afraid to keep pressing mm-hmm. and where you get a lot of your sales and a lot of your success is just beyond that hurdle. So the you know the willingness and the, the tenacity to, to keep pushing is really where you're going to find a lot of success. So for me, you know, persistent but doing it in a really respectful way and a really friendly way is, is kind of my key to being successful. Okay. And also believing in what you're selling, you know, whether it was Wagjag or um, Checkup 51 where I worked for a year and, and certainly the parking now, I've always, I've been passionate and really believed in what I was selling, which makes a huge, huge difference. And I think people are able to read that in your, whether you're on the phone or in an email or, or in person. Meeting with people in person too, I think, is so important. Yeah, I mean, being you, able to, you still try and make a point of doing that as much as possible. If yeah, you can, I mean, it's not it's not efficient, but I think for right. for important clients and for important deals, you know, it's always better to look in someone's eye and and have them be able to look into the whites of your eyes and see that you're for real. You know, we've we flew to New York once uh, and spent a night there to have a meeting there because I thought it was such an important thing to meet this person and. You know, you also never know what comes of those types of meetings as well. It's always better to meet face to face. I find. Yeah, cool, cool. So you mentioned earlier that uh, you bootstrapped, so yeah. you're essentially you haven't raised capital. And so I was sort of curious. This is always a question that young entrepreneurs have when yeah. they're approaching a new venture, saying, "Okay, well, do I raise money from friends and family? Uh, you know, do I?" Uh, try and go as long as I can before I raise any money, whether it's from friends and family yep. or from you know outside investors, maybe angels yep. uh, on a seed round, things like that. And so I was just wondering what your views were on that, why you sort of chose to bootstrap. And uh, if you gave, you know, if you have any plans to potentially raise more money, when that would be, be really curious to hear about that. Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, for us, really, you know, we wanted to start a business. We, we, one of the things we really like about this business is it's pretty capital- uh, it's not very capital intensive. Right, yeah, SaaS business like that. Yeah, yeah and we we've also been able to, fortunately, do a lot of the the sort of things that we needed to be done ourselves. Jeremy on the technical side and on the legal and finance side, and myself on the sales, business development, and, and both of us on the marketing and customer service end. So, you know, we have we do have some help. We have uh, somebody on the software side who works for us uh, on a part-time basis, someone on the marketing social media side also part-time. So we've we've been able to keep the burn of this business relatively low and we've been able to fund it ourselves to this point with the sort of strategy and, and ideal that we can we want to build this business up as big as we can before we need anyone else's money. Mm-hmm. And 
this is, a, I also think, a rare business in that it started generating cash pretty quickly. And we've actually been able to like reinvest a lot of that right. back into the business and, and to grow organically. So we haven't needed the capital. We've, you know, by virtue of the fact that Jeremy has, you know, started and sold his last business, uh, Wagjag, you know, we've been offered money by a host of people, um, which is really flattering. And we haven't needed it because we didn't think it would actually help us grow that much quicker. So you want to avoid dilution if you can. Yeah, totally. Um, You know, we could, you know, you can look at like convertible debt and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So you don't have to, you know, value your business just yet as it's in its early stages. But we really just thought, you know, we don't want to have to answer to anyone else at this point. And it's, you know, it's conceivable that if, if we can sort of pick up enough momentum that we may never need to raise outside capital. We could just, um, you know, invest. Yeah, there are businesses like that. Yeah. In tech yeah. So we're, we're not really sure where it's going yet. You know, we, we believe that we're adding value. We know for our real estate partners that we're generating new revenue that, you know, they didn't have before and that we're taking, you know, underground empty parking spots, which are collecting dust and you know, mm-hmm. really just represent an opportunity cost for the owners and we're turning it into recurring revenue or managing it for them or finding individuals and companies cheaper, better parking mm-hmm. spots. So we're really creating, you know, a win for both of those parties and a win for ourselves. Okay. So we love those kind of businesses. And, you know, I think, you know, in the whole sharing economy of, you know, Uber, Airbnb, et cetera, it's all about better utilization of, a- of assets. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned at the beginning of, the, of this interview, you know, trying to, I forget what the term you use, but better planning of the city. Like, that's that's sort of how I saw it. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's you all- know, you're welcome to comment on that. But when I sort of went to your site and heard about your thing, it, it seems to be something that, that can have an impact on making the city of Toronto just work better, Right. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of, you know, they say 30% of traffic comes from people driving around looking for parking. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, one way to certainly reduce congestion. You know, we only do monthly parking, so I can't suggest that we're going to solve that congestion issue. But one thing that we can do is use assets better, um, utilize assets better if there are empty parking spots in an area where people are paying $300 a month to park and by opening up our spots, we can offer them parking at 225 a month. We're going to save them money and they can, you know, have more disposable income, which is better for everybody. And ultimately, you know, this, this is a bad thing for parking companies, you know, to put it bluntly, but if, you know, Sally, um, or Sally Smith or Jane Doe has an empty parking spot at their house or apartment, and they're parking downtown all day, parking, paying two hundred and fifty dollars, and they can get one hundred and fifty for their driveway, right. and subsidize their parking. Like that's really the essence of the sharing economy, and that really excites us to create an opportunity for an individual with an empty yeah. driveway or sixty square feet of parking of, of yeah. cement to create new revenue and you know yeah. take a vacation that's eighteen hundred bucks a year, yeah. go to you know go to Mexico for a week like that. Yeah. That excites us. The ability. And it's incredible nowadays how many people I'm seeing who have side streams of income through Airbnb in their house, renting their parking spots, you know, whatever it is, right? I mean, there's so many opportunities for increasing uh, efficiency, you know, and resource allocation and things like that. So, yeah. It, it, you know what? It, it's obviously the sharing economy has been so hot for a few years now, but, you know, I think that the crux of it is that it's making people's lives better and more convenient. And, you know, one of my friends asked me the other day about, um, do we have customers who, who like share their pleasure with experience with using our service? And I said, yeah, you know, 
we get emails all the time or we have like a little chat function on our homepage. Um, Testimonials? Yeah, yeah. people just saying like, I wanted to tell you that this service is great. You make it so simple. Nice. Your interface is so clean. It's exactly like what I needed. And I, you know, I'd recommend it's this nice service. It's nice about validation. For sure. It, it's it definitely, you know, I don't like, you know, it's great for a few moments. I enjoy it, but there, there's so much more to do. But it is validating so, of, of so when you mentioned there's so much more to do I'm, I'm sort of curious to hear you know what's what's sort of next for you you know life goals or you know when it comes to where you'd like to see where i park ideally what's sort of a a scenario where you're going to be happy with what you've done or where you're going yeah i think i think you know for this business like i said a minute ago we're not really sure of what it might become but for us we the problem that we want to solve is focus on monthly parking making people's lives easier to find monthly parking, to save money wherever possible, and to help those who have extra spots or hundreds of extra spots, in the case of real estate owners, to rent those out and to collect that revenue that they're leaving on the table. So that's really the, you know, the, the nail that we're trying to hit. And we want to take this to other places. So we want to grow this business. Right now, we're pretty focused on Toronto. You know, we had started to think about some other Canadian cities, but like owning this market. Yeah, we want to own this market and then and then replicate. Makes sense. You know, in other markets and, and probably look at going into some U.S. markets in the not too distant future. So, you know, we really want to take this to the place where, like, if you need a monthly parking spot or you have an an empty spot you want to rent out monthly, like this where I park is yeah. the online tool to do that. So that's really the vision. And, you know, we want to be a parking company that owns and ma- and that owns no real estate. We want to manage, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of monthly parking spots on behalf of other people um, in the same way that Airbnb is, you know, maybe it might even be the biggest uh, sort of uh, accommodation hospitality provider in the world. Right. Yeah. They don't own any real estate. It's purely yeah. a platform. So. Yeah. Fitting with that kind of ideal, that's really what we'd like to, to grow this business into. Cool. So uh, one other question about, you know, your experiences in terms of, I don't know, lessons learned. If you had any sort of mistakes that you might have made along the way that you'd care to share in terms of, you know, what to look out for, for, for as I said, you know, a young entrepreneur or mm-hmm. any entrepreneur really uh, that, you know, they could avoid or something that you sort of would have done differently? Yeah, I think... I think, um, you know, we've definitely made some mistakes along the way, but I think that the key to a, a startup um, and being an entrepreneur is you need to quickly realize your mistakes and, and do something to fix them. Um, so, you know, we, we had, a, you know, we changed our business model a couple months ago because um, originally, you know, it's funny, the, the business model that we have now is actually originally what we wanted to build, but we found that the customers in the market wouldn't actually bear that model. So we changed our model to what we could get at the time. And then what we found was after, you know, six or seven months of operating under that model and actually like, you know, doing, you know, a couple hundred transactions, we, we were making money, but we weren't building any value in the business. So we looked at what some other people were doing in other parts of the world in the parking arena. And we kind of thought, let's, let's actually like switch this to a model where we can actually like build value um, on a, on a long on an ongoing basis and, and, you know, create actual enterprise value. So you got to be willing to try different things and willing to fail. Willing to fail. Yeah, totally. Um, one of my mentors, um, who built and sold his business, he said something interesting to me, which was when they were building their business, everything that he was doing, his, his, the, the, the sort of mantra that 
was leading everything was he was doing was like don't fail, but not don't fail in a small way like like everything you do new customer signs up like just keep everything going, you know you're not gonna nothing's gonna be perfect and nothing's gonna be executed flawlessly but just try not to like screw things up, mm-hmm. try to get deals done, try to satisfy like. Just gotta keep. So, so don't don't get. They're gonna be snags. Yes, but don't sort of get caught in them. Keep the ball rolling. Keep through keep it. momentum. Keep building, and you just gotta just gotta like learn from your mistakes and roll and go with the flow. And like you're gonna have a million headaches every day in a startup is an emotional roller coaster. Every week is an emotional roller coaster. You have you know amazing parts of a day. The morning might be amazing, and then <laughs> you get hit with an yeah. email or a lawsuit Cheers or those things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you gotta be have a strong stomach you probably need to be a little bit crazy to be an entrepreneur but in all honesty um but you know when you're when you do sign that big deal like there's nothing more gratifying than than you know seeing your child um you know experience some success and Definitely. and then you got to quickly you know move on to the next thing and like keep growing your business because yeah. you really reap what you sow well i know that uh you're a super busy guy and uh you know you've always got a lot of things on the go but I also know that you are really involved in a lot of social and community issues and you do various work in there. And so I wonder if you'd chat a little bit about that, uh, about causes you care about uh, and why, you know. For sure. Um, so for me, giving back to the community has always been a part of uh, how I was raised. My grandparents were very involved in the community. Um, so I, I always, and I, you know, definitely being born in Toronto, and growing up in Forest Hill, feel very fortunate. And um, some of my greatest role models in business were people that were not only successful, um, you know, in the business world, but also people that were very involved and in not just writing a check, but actually giving their time and, and energy to the community. So that's really what I wanted to do from a pretty early age. And it took me a while to figure out the causes that I really cared about. But healthcare was one, and, and I had been involved with Mount Sinai Hospital for a number of years. Um, through a, a group called Future Sinai, which was like a young professional group. And I kind of, at a, at a point after about four years, I grew that and through a, a charity golf tournament that I've been involved with for about three years now um, called the George Knudsen Pro-Am, which raises uh, generally in excess of a quarter million dollars every year. Half of those funds go to Israel Cancer Research Fund and half go to Mount Sinai Hospital, so have maintained an involvement there and then the other organization that I've become much more involved in uh, with in the last uh, year and a half, which I know you're aware of, is, is the Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center, mm-hmm. which is a great organization that um, was really sort of the goals of that organization are to combat racism and intolerance and, and hatred and, and anti-Semitism uh, locally and globally. And that's a cause that's that's near and dear to my heart as a Jewish person. Um, you know, obviously the Holocaust, six million Jews were killed with millions of other uh, different ethnicities and groups. So this group, the Simon Wiesenthal Center, is really about how do we educate young people to understand what happened in the past and not mm-hmm. learn, you know, in a similar avoid, ways. Avoid those yeah, avoid those, yeah. And intolerances and prejudices. Totally. How do we, yeah, yeah, how do we get different communities to get along? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously there's, you know, mostly, not mostly, but in the United States, you know, we had that shooting in Charleston the other day oh, that was racially motivated and, and really sick and... and yeah. Uh, disheartening. So there's definitely still, even in the, you know, the modern world, you know, 50, 60 years after yep. World War II, t- 
tons of hate and intolerance and racism. So this organization is doing some great work around educating young people and and just sort of, uh, you know, doing what they can to stop racism and prejudice and, and intolerance. And yeah. it's a tough one because it's a silent uh, enemy, but I think it's such an important organization. And I was fortunate to have the opportunity along with a, another person um, to start a young professional division for that organization. And what I was saying at the beginning of the interview about going into a blank canvas, having no infrastructure and going to create one, that really excited me about Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center. And Because they sort of empowered you, allowed you to do that? With yeah, allowed me to go yeah. in somewhere. Like it didn't exist, but I got yeah. to go create it. So yeah. like where I park. And I went to one of those events and it was awesome. So I mean, yeah, yeah so, really so that's great. that's what we're doing right now is getting, you know, business leaders in different industries together mm-hmm. and hosting intimate dinners. As you know, you were at yeah. the finance one and just getting to, you know, just having great experiences and conversations. You know, yeah, you got, you had dinner at the, you know, the CEO of Gluskin Chef's yeah. house. Uh, where in where in a young professional's life would they normally have the chance to like sit down with a CEO of you know a fund that has eight billion dollars under yeah. management? So just providing great experiences and, and having young professionals. And what, learn. I, what I really enjoyed about that too is that I just feel like in this digital society we have this tendency to have less time for those one-on-one meetings for those chats. Yeah. And I feel like having a a platform like you've created it is so great for promoting that real world interaction rather than just digital interaction. So I've got to applaud you on that because yeah. I think it was a really great initiative and thank you. You know, I, I'd love to, you know, support you on those things. Yeah, no, I was thrilled that you were able to attend and I you know, I it's you know, it comes in networking too and I think when you can when you can combine networking with philanthropy and with mm-hmm. a good cause, um, it, it's just a winning combination. I mean the event that you and I that we were at together is, you know, Sitting down with Jeremy Friedman, CEO of Gluskin, and John Bloomberg from Bloomberg Sen. Um, you know, between them, we're talking about like ten billion dollars of assets under management, and another you know eight or nine young professionals interested in finance. Like, you meet great people. Yeah. You know, you you made a great a donation uh, to a great cause, uh, to a great organization, and hopefully some of those people you build friendships you, potentially. Absolutely. Yeah, you build friendships yeah. and you never know what you, what you totally. might do with some of those people down the road. So yeah. it's a, a, like my business, it's like a win-win-win. The charity wins, the individual wins and uh, the organization wins. Absolutely. So uh, I know that we all like to read. I'm assuming that you're also uh, an avid reader. Yeah. And so I was curious to sort of uh, get an idea from you of four books that or three books or one book that yeah. you've read that's really made an impact on you and the way you sort of look at business or even your personal life, you know, sure. books. So, uh, one great book with some like really, really practical business applications is, um, uh, what they don't teach you at Harvard business school okay. by Mark McCormick who okay. started IMG, um, which was the, which is like, I believe the world's largest sports and talent agency. Uh, the next one I really love is outliers, okay. uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. That's a great book. Um, another great one is, um, Peter Thiel's recent book, zero to one has some great, also really practical business lessons in there. And another great one, uh, as far as sales goes is Cialdini's, the psychology of persuasion. Uh, he's, there's some great, great stuff in there on, on how to sell and how to influence people. That's a great one. So those would be four great reads. Uh, well, that I, that I could suggest. That's cool. So, Alex, it's been great talking with you. And uh, just before we leave, real quick, you yeah. know, rapid fire. What are, what are those sort of four apps that you really like to use? 
Cool. Um, so for, for listening to music, I've been using Spotify, although I'm probably going to give Apple Music a shot, especially since it's free until October. Um, I find myself using Snapchat a lot lately. I was sort of late to that game, but I right. really am enjoying Snapchat. Um, Shazam is something that I use quite a bit. love identifying songs, and I, I find that super cool. And uh, as far as like productivity goes, I, I've been using a calendar app lately called Sunrise, which uh, is pretty cool and, and makes it really easy to find time to meet with people and calendars and stuff. All right. Well, that's a wrap. So uh, thanks again. And everybody, make sure to check out whereipark.com and uh, get serious about your parking spots. All right. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Matt. All right.